I just want to say how delighted I am to be here uh, to celebrate the 50th anniversary of an organisation that has contributed so much to the achievement of a rights-based legal system in Ireland. And I do thank Ailish Barry for her invitation to be here and to all of you for that most generous welcome. I have to be very careful about mentioning names in my remarks this afternoon because I know so many of the people in this room that I have encountered in different circumstances. But above all else, I do want to congratulate you on all that you have in fact been offering to the whole principle of access, equal access to the legal system and the legal process. Peter mentioned, you know, that I have been uh, aware of the different movements that for so long uh, in, in, in different capacities. But there's one I should say that not many people, not everyone may know, <coughs> is that uh, the late Kevin Boyle's office and mine were next door to each other in Tower 2, Block 2 in, in UIG. And many people, not everyone knows also that Kevin Boyle, in addition to his distinguished legal training, had in fact completed a master's degree uh, with Rabinowitz in Cambridge on uh, the Irish in prison, particularly on the, the crimes of which they were uh, convicted. So Kevin and I ran a course that time uh, on the sociology of law. And I thought of you, as you mentioned the phrase, just like a real uh, solicitor's office in many cases, uh, as many of my former students were going on to do different things, uh, there was the odd one who did hear the suggestion, you wouldn't want to be getting involved in that kind of thing. <laughs> uh, but I, I'm very pleased to be here to celebrate the official opening of what our magnificent new premises in Upper Dorset Street. And of course it has significant, it has great significance that Shona Casey, Shona Cahasic, as he would remind, describe himself in the Citizen Army, <coughs> was born in the original site in 1880. And what a pleasure it is to be able to publicly acknowledge Siobhan and Siobhan's daughter, and I said both of you, uh, always, no one can speak of Dublin without thinking of Sean O'Casey. And of course, up the road in North, in, in North Circular is where he wrote his three great plays, the three great Dublin plays. Um, the year in which Flack was established was 1969, by four students, was a very, very special year. There was a, a lot in the air. <laughs> I remember like that, said, and the Irish people, as so many said, saved themselves from socialism. Well, I also remember it was a most vigorous campaign. Uh, I was campaigning bilingually in Connemara, about which I'll just have to wait until you hear till I get time to write all that up. Uh, but the four students who decided there was a very interesting time. Uh, as a young lecturer at that time, I remember I was just appointed in '69, and one of the th things that had happened, there'd been a near revolution in access to third level as a result of the O'Malley decision in relation to free secondary education. It was one of those times in universities where you could hire staff to take care of the huge new, new intake. Uh, it's in that 
year, I think, as well, that I found it, the, the, the Workers' Union of Ireland teaching section, because not only were the universities changing in terms of the new intake of young academics, but we had two trade unions. We had, at this stage, well, you had the Irish Federation of University Teachers, for which Cader Asmal was campaigning for members, and I was the, the, the Workers' Union of Ireland teaching section. He got everyone above uh, a professorial lectureship level, and I got everyone below. We went around the country. But the atmosphere at that time was one which was very conducive to people asking, how can we serve and use our professional skills? And there was a fantastic example given by the four students, uh, Dennis McCullough, Ian Candy, David Barnett, Vivian Levin, who are the practical example of that, of people who are just delivering their, their, it was a profoundly ethical action, and it was a critical moment in Ireland's journey towards the debate for an inclusive democracy, a journey that is not yet finished. And I think that Sean O'Casey's spirit would be with the voice of those people who are conscious of, cl of the, cl the class-divided nature of society that had to be undone. Of course, an effective judicial system that is available to all had been mentioned in so many formal documents. The Universal Declaration of Human Rights had stated, everyone has the right to an effective remedy by the competent national tribunals for acts violating the fundamental rights granted him by the constitution or by law. They hadn't moved on to the, to the gender usage that, that is appropriate. Access to legal aid then surely is a requirement of access to justice and justice for all must lie at the very heart of any democratic society. I think a nation that aspires towards through equality could not be satisfied with the system of justice that was reliant on the earning power of those who seek to access it or to accept a situation where those who cannot afford to pay for justice can be more easily deprived of their liberty or for a view that a fair trial is a commodity, is a right limited to one's capacity to purchase it. More and more in my speeches of, aimed at it internationally, I continue to mention and will continue to mention the famous Ecuadorian case where you have peasants taking a case against a multinational for poisoning their water supply and where the chairman of the company involved at the meeting of shareholders in the United States says, we will continue to fight this until hell freezes over and then we will fight it on the ice. Where you get an army of legal professionals facing a group of young peasants simply, simply wanting the right to have their water not poisoned. And so and this case could be replicated in India and elsewhere. So those who have given up their professional skills to this kind of ethical view of how we are to live together on the planet are very, very important. When the Legal Aid Board was established under the Civil Legal Aid Act of 1995, it was with a clear intention that citizens of insufficient means would not be denied access to necessary legal services and could legally enforce their economic, social and cultural rights. At that time, I think we were down on Mespel Road, and I was sharing a floor of the office with uh, Mervyn Taylor. And uh, I remember the drafting of this legislation very clearly. It was an important step forward in a state that, after all, invokes principles of equality and social justice. And there is no doubt whatsoever that those who are most vulnerable and marginalised in society are also those who are most at risk of encountering legal difficulties and most in need of a justice system that is accessible and that operates in the best interests of all. Those who are homeless, 
the poor, those with a disability, or those who suffer from mental illness, immigrants, lone parents, and those living or growing up in disadvantaged communities encounter many more legal problems than the rest of the population. I actually didn't have time, but I really looked, for example, at the timeline which was circulated with the announcement of today's event from 1969 on to the present, and we just looks at the very significant areas in which FLAC has been active, and they were in all those areas that I have just mentioned. But there are often problems, too, that could be easily resolved with access to timely legal advice. And because such access is denied and many barriers are placed between disadvantaged citizens and legal assistance, they often escalate into situations that profoundly impact on the well-being, self-esteem and security of an individual and their family, casting long shadows and having far-reaching implications. When vulnerable citizens are abandoned to navigate a complex legal system alone, they are experiencing a grave injustice. Now here, of course, navigating means navigating even in relation to language itself. I remember very early on bringing my students to the district court where people were up on for some infringement or another, and the justice had a particular language, and those who were before him had one. And they could easily, one could easily say to the other, I'm giving, and you're giving up the drink now for life. For life, Your Honour, and things and so forth. There are huge barriers in language. And there is, I think, very often a tendency in Ireland to say, sure, we're just one small country, aren't we all equal in Ireland? We are not, and we are equal in so many ways that we've yet to address. But I think that experiencing a grave injustice means that that injustice could deprive a person of income a roof over their head, or their freedom and liberty. An injustice could exclude them from employment or education. An injustice that could deny them access to their children, reunification with their family, equality in relation to social welfare. And FLAC has covered all of those in that long timeline from 1969 on to the present. And it is worrying to know that last year's figures issued by the Irish Penal Reform Trust to the Oireachtas Education Committee show that the majority of those currently in Irish prisons, and we're speaking about last year, have never sat a state exam, with over half having left school before the age of 15. And it is revealing that prisoners in Ireland are 25 times more likely to come from deprived communities, indicating a very clear link between social disadvantage and crime and punishment. And it has actually got worse, if anything, since the time I was looking at this when I was on the McBride Commission on Prisons. And I sometimes think about this, looking at the most recent work in, in sociological theory, about, which is really built a lot about on, on how if you respond uh, to society. And I often think about all those families in all those houses. If you say, what do the courts mean to them? It means that their life has to be structured in staying out of the courts. And you speak to another social class and you say, what do the courts mean to you? It is there that you will make a very good living and a good profession. So depending from which class perspective you look at law and justice and the institutions and so on, it reveals something to you and something upon which all of the people in this room are, of course, committed to. And that is 
trying to have, if you like, a society that is in a republic uh, that is more equal. I think it is so striking for me, anyway, looking back on it as a sociologist, as a citizen, how the stark difference in how families from different classes and their younger members in particular envisage what society means for them, or as the new sociological theory from uh, people like Hartmut Rosa and others would say, how they resonate with the society, a society that is full of pitfalls and threats that you have to try and tell your children you must avoid this and you must avoid that and you must be careful about this and about others in which I meet, for example, as I'm giving them different awards. And I said, there are all these wonderful opportunities opening up before you here and in Europe and in the world, and you're just going to go on and on and so forth. That is, I think, the flat refutation of the suggestion that we are all equal. We are not. I think that the biggest problem with uh, regard to, to uh, access to justice is the prohibitive cost of being involved in legal action. And reforms, I suggest as well, to the, to the legal system must bear all of that in mind as much as they can for people who make a case for corporate efficiency. There can be very few citizens who do not know someone who is unable to obtain legal advice or court representation for the simple reason that they could not afford it. And the cost of legal aid has increased, while in some parts of Ireland waiting times for initial and follow-up consultations are very extensive, excessive. And Flack's own report, Accessing Justice in Hard Times, demonstrated that during the recession, increased numbers of people, including those in debt or who had been made unemployed, were denied access to lawyers and as a result were denied access to justice. Indeed, it is one of the great failures of the European Union that the only fundamental extensive report on the impact of austerity was carried out by the Secretary-General to the Council of Europe. Apart from that, no assessment of an adequate kind on the implications of austerity for the lower socioeconomic roots was, is in existence. We know that a right to justice is fundamental to human rights protection a primary element of an individual's entitlement as an equal citizen of any state. And it is simply not acceptable in a state that claims that is a democracy and that claims to be a republic that the most vulnerable section of our society is unable to access our legal system or is prevented from doing so in a timely manner. And that is a situation which damages the very fabric of our society in entrenching and exacerbating inequality and class at the very root of democracy lies a respect for all citizens and a refusal to foster a culture of privilege and advantage for those who can afford it. There is no natural law of all of this, and it is all open to change. And if we work, are to achieve a republic in its fullest sense, institutional and as an experience, it must be founded on a profound spirit of generous humanity and a necessary inclusiveness. And I must say about all of this as well, there were among the, I mentioned the kind of people who did law, as they would say, and all the rest of it, they were among the most exciting people to be with, that had this bit of, extra bit of people. They were good company. And I think it was that spirit that led to the establishment of Flack 50 years ago. It is that that has seen it grow and develop to an organisation that today provides legal advice and information directly through 66 clinics across the country. The demand for Flack services continues to increase, 
and, and to learn that last year you provided legal information or advice to 25,238 members of the public, people who would have been at a, such a huge disadvantage without it. And in addition to that important critical service, you have contributed actively to the debate on the provision and have published reports and papers on a number of key legal issues that have contributed actively to the debate on the provision of legal services for all citizens through research, the publishing of reports, papers on a number of issues. Indeed, one of your most recent achievements was the removal of the requirement for legal aid applicants to make a financial contribution in domestic violence cases. FLAC were, of course, represented then too on the Pringle Committee, which led to the establishment of the Legal Aid Board in 1990, while your establishment of the Public Interest Law Alliance was also an important milestone and has covered significant issues, including the gender pay gap. And I have that long list. You know it yourselves. I know that FLAC will continue to campaign and work through advocacy, casework and analysis of legal and social issues that will all help to eradicate social and economic exclusion in Irish society. I go back again and I often think of that. Two children born on the same day, looking at what different kinds of life may they look forward to. We can be celebrating all the centenaries until the cows come home, but until we have in fact levelled the opportunities of those children, we will not have achieved really the elements, the fundamental basic elements uh, of a republic. I know that you will continue this. Molim Shivakas to Gawin Gokrakas Banach, Tagaki Rup to Mega Shulak is Navali Esulius and Tom Tolichiat. As President of Ireland, Marukhtanahin, I so want to express how deeply grateful we should all be for your generous and altruistic work and for the outstanding contribution you have made towards the creation of a fairer and more just society, which is still there for the creation, and you have given so much work to it. Those of you who are working for an inclusive republic can take great example from you. I want to acknowledge the dedicated, generous work of that most important part of your organisation, FLAC, the volunteers. Already you have heard from Peter the number of those who have been doing that. It includes the hundreds of lawyers around the country who volunteer at FLAC clinics. The lawyers who support FLAC's casework, the lawyers who are members of the Pro Bono Alliance, the members of the Student Flag Society, interns and, of course, the members of the Flag Council. I'm delighted to see the bar represented here and the Law Society. And can there be any better way of giving delivery of your professional competence than to make it available to those of our citizens in need of it? And your commitment and generous sharing of your time, skills and talents, and indeed of your patience, has had a profound impact on the lives of so many and you're all a valuable and uplifting example of participative citizenship and democracy, reminding us of all that is most hopeful in Irish society. And in that context, may I make special mention, dangerous as it is, of just a small number of people who illustrate this quiet and unremitting commitment to justice. I've said already the strength of FLAC lies in its network of volunteer professionals and its committed members of staff. I believe that Peter Ward and Don Crewe deserve a special word of thanks in recognition for their steadfast dedication and for many years of uninterrupted service to the organisation. Thanks also to Catherine Hickey, the Director of Funding, for her valuable work. And dear friends, 
Is in our era, August Tamanaria Fisher, is privileged for Hensha, Milibuikas as a quitter hurtam, the Porchuk Livakaship Shakilura, on Quakerplina Top Winchamakake, August Witagoskan Hefikinua. May I thank you once again for inviting me, and I want to wish Flack every success in this lovely new premises as you continue with your vital work. It isn't only therefore a real law office, it is a splendid special law office. August Gombuikas lived Jenim Gogordatli. I so wish all of you health and happiness in the future, and the many, many people who you have benefited already will not forget you, nor will those for whom you will assist in the future. Thank you very much.